If you need a laugh, here on your behalf It's bad mates, are we fighting crime? Or just wasting time? It's bad mates, lunch, boom, crash, kapow Stream it, download, holy cow You can stop listening now to bad mates Because we're bad mates Hello and welcome to Batmates, which is my mom's favorite Batman podcast. My name is Becca, and I am not a human being! I am an animal! Cold-blooded! And I am Josh. Prepare to meet your end in my aviary of doom. <laughs> this week we are going to be discussing the Penguin, who is one of Batman's heavy hitters, and I would say probably one of the most popular villains in of all time not just in like batman his canon. gallery i, I think, think joker takes that okay well penguin is unsettling in a way that i think joker can never touch top three top three i'd say of the rogues gallery probably yeah. catwoman's up there catwoman is probably two yeah i'd say of just like straight rogues not like sometimes batman's friends you got mm. Joker, Penguin, and I'd say probably Two-Face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, today we're going to be talking about the Penguin, also known as Oswald Cobblepot. Um, and we're going to be taking a look at a really, really interesting Silver Age comic uh, that features him. It's his first Silver Age appearance. If you want to read along at home, we're going to be talking about Batman um, issue 155. But first, we're going to do news. Yeah, we're, first we're going to do a little bit of uh, Batman news for the week. So I've got two news articles for you, two news pieces of news to share with you, Joshua. Okay. Um, the first one is about the Snyderverse. It's not so much Batman news, it's more uh, Snyderverse Justice League news, but okay. it's it's in the Batman universe, so I figured we'd talk about it. It's a kind of a big thing that's happening in the, in the Batman fandom universe everything right now. I've heard that that boy has his, uh, his cut coming out. Yes. They're releasing the Snyder Cut. They are releasing the Snyder Cut. But what you might not have known is that Snyder wants to do some reshoots. Really? Yeah. For his cut? For his cut. He's oh, doing geez. reshoots. Um, so he's planning to do some reshoots for his cut of the Justice League. Um, they're planning the cut not to be released as just like a full movie. They're actually planning it to be like a four-part miniseries. Which I'm taking to mean we got four hours of this. Yeah, I was gonna say up. yeah, like four one hour longs. Probably yeah. Oh man! So, if you thought Justice League or Batman v Superman was long before, you just wait. P reportedly involved in these reshoots um, are the actors Henry Cavill, Gal Gadot, uh, our boy Benny, Benny Affleck, Ben Affleck, yes, um, and Ray Fisher, who's a lesser known name. He played Cyborg. Okay. This is actually kind of his big break. Before... Is is Henry Cavill going to be shaving his mustache? Unreported. <laughs> uh, the CGI budget has not been released. Well, here's the thing about Henry is he is actually currently in the middle of filming uh, The Witcher season two. Oh, yeah. So they're going to have to CGI off his silver hair his... and his crazy eyes. That's got to be a wig. And the eyes are contacts, obviously. How dare you? That's Henry Cavill in his natural state. I don't think that's true. Geralt of Rivia. Um, but the important part of the story is actually Ray Fisher, um, Cyborg. Mm -hmm. So this was kind of his big break. He's really just been in like theater roles before this and a couple of like smaller television roles, maybe like some indie movies. Um, but he's actually currently in a very public dispute with WB, stemming from some allegations that he made about poor working conditions under Joss Whedon. So if you didn't follow the story too closely, uh, Zack Snyder left production of the Justice League following uh, a very tragic death in his family. Um, and Joss Whedon came in to oversee the rest of the filming and post-production. Um, and apparently they just have very different directing styles. Uh, Zack Snyder is very collaborative and Joss Whedon is very much, you know, a visionary. He knows how he wants it done. And the fanboys of, of uh, Zack Snyder say that, like, Joss Whedon was, like, wanted to make it funnier and a lighter tone. And sort of the, the people at Warner Brothers openly embraced that because they had been criticized for Zack Snyder's very dark takes on stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what other people have reported is just that, you know, Joss Whedon knows what he wants on a set. And I can imagine they were under, you know, immense pressure of deadlines of trying to get this done on mm -hmm. time. 
Um, however, uh, Ray Fisher was quoted as saying that he found Joss Whedon's behavior to be gross, abusive, unprofessional, and completely unacceptable. Uh, so WB's did say that they would look into these claims, um, and they apparently, you know, had some sort of internal investigation. You know, we've seen enough celebrities this year give their big apologies about one thing or another. They always conduct an investigation. It's always an internal investigation. So they can kind of control all the PR that comes out from it. Uh, so Ray Fisher uh, accused WB of trying to, like, influence the investigation, sweep some things under the rug so that really, nobody really. would really, like, know what was happening. What is he sort of looking for? Is he looking for, like, a payout? or? That's the thing. Is he's This is his big break. He didn't really do a whole lot before this. He doesn't have much, like, monetarily to gain from something like this you would think that he you know would be just wanting to keep working in hollywood and you know we've seen that people can get completely blacklisted for speaking out against these big names so i would say that you know ray fisher is probably trying to speak out against some real pardon the pun injustices that he saw on that set under joss whedon hmm. so jason momoa is says he's standing by ray fisher um, so remains to be seen. Like I said, uh, Henry Cavill's currently filming The Witcher. Gal Gadot is in the middle of f- filming a different movie. Um, she's done with Wonder Woman 1985, right? 84. 84, yeah. Yeah, she's finished with that. That's coming out eventually. Um, but she's currently filming another movie. Uh, Snyder wants these reshoots to happen in October. In October. Um, you may not realize this listening to this, but we're in the middle of a global pandemic, so people don't really want to travel and all that stuff. So it remains to be seen, like, if these reshoots will even happen, how they'll happen, if Ray Fisher will be involved, if there's going to be more difficulties. It doesn't seem like he had any issues with working with Snyder, so maybe that's why there's no problem with him coming back. But he does seem to be in a very public battle with uh, WB at the moment. Interesting. So that reminds me of scene. So that's the like kind of like disappointing Batman Justice League news of the week. Now for some really fun news. And this fun news comes with a little guessing game. Oh boy. So there is a very cool, interesting female character, Batman character, who has never been seen in the comics, who is making her comic debut. Do you want to take a guess at who it could be? Okay, wait. You said there's a female character. A female character who's never been seen in the comics. Never been seen in the comics. Who's making her comic debut. Mm-hmm. But she's been in live action? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? <laughs> How many hints do you want before you make your guess? I'm asking a question. Answer my question. Okay, so we're doing this like like 20 questions? Yeah, yeah. Okay, no. She's never been in live action. She's never been in live action. Has she been in uh, a, a... Like a... An animated thing yes. that DC was putting out. Okay, is it uh, Miss Martian? No. Uh, okay. Let's see. Never been, never been in the comics though. Nope. Hmm. I don't know. Dead air isn't going to be any interesting, so you should tell me now. Andrea. Oh. Andrea. So Andrea Beaumont is making her comic debut uh, in December for Batman Catwoman number one. Uh, you may know that Batman and Catwoman were going to get married uh, about in the comics last, about a year ago, last yeah. summer ish. Maybe two that was years to ago. By now, uh, the wedding was called off. However, now in this new series, Batman Catwoman number one, they're dating again. Um, but Andrea Beaumont, Bruce's former lover, also known as the Vigilante Phantasm, is back in town. Wow. So, okay. if you don't know, Andrea Beaumont was from the Mask of the Phantasm animated movie, which was in the Batman animated series uh, It was universe. the first animated series movie. Yes. And also, like, the best one. It's, it's, it's very good. It's amazing. Uh, also, fun fact, Andrea Beaumont is named after Andrea... Um, Romano. Romano, who is the voice casting director for Batman the Animated Series. And a bunch of other things, just in the animated universe. Yeah, Warner amazing. Brothers. She was uh, there for Animaniacs, I think. Mm-hmm. We stand Andrea Romano on this uh, podcast. The, the Tiny Toons, probably. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to tell them about the Kevin Conroy, the reason her name is Andrea? Yeah, well, the reason why her name is Andrea is because, uh, she, like I said, she was a voice casting director, so she was the one who picked Kevin Conroy for the voice of Batman, the voice that most people know. He's done the voice in the animated series and the Arkham games and a few of the other animated movies that weren't in the animated series universe. And I met him at the Newark airport once. Uh, 
And so he, when he would uh, like do his warm ups, uh, she would ask him to say her name, and so he'd go Andrea, and it, like do it in like this real sexy, sultry voice. <laughs> and she loved it, so she made the writers write a character and named Andrea, so he'd have to say it a bunch of times. And he does say, "I love you, Andrea," like so many times in that movie. It's, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> uh, the relationship between Bruce and Andrea in that movie is really, really fantastic. It's a very early Batman story, so it sort of goes into him, you know, sort of deciding, "Am I going to choose this life, or am I going to choose?" a love um yeah there's a lot of flashbacks as to like when he decides to start his career as batman it really gets deep into the psyche of bruce wayne uh and like how he closes himself off from relationships because he's worried that uh the people who are like near and dear to him will be hurt by his like crime fighting and stuff Mm -hmm. it also it gets really deeply into the psyche of andrea beaumont as well who mirrors him as the phantasm um another interesting thing about this series that's coming out is that joker is gonna be like kind of in the background in some way in this series it's a 12 it's a 12 series uh maxi series is what they're calling it so 12 issues of this you know batman catwoman that's gonna have andrea in it and according to the writer uh this is it month? Is it weekly, monthly? Do you know what it is? Uh, probably monthly, I would okay. guess. Okay, so it'll um, be a year long then. Yeah, so according to the writer, this is actually just the first of many appearances they're planning for Phantasm. I mean, if Joker's in the background, does that mean that it, that means that it could sort of kind of follow the uh, animated movie? Exactly. Because, yeah. She does have a very interesting plot with Joker in that movie. Um, in Mask of the Phantasm, Joker worked for a mobster named Salvatore Valestra before becoming the Joker, um, and he carried out an ordered hit on Andrea's father. So Andrea has this quest for vengeance where she tries to seek out and uh, kill all of the men in Valestra's, you know, mobster gang one by one um, underneath the, you know, mask of this terrifying phantasm villain. Um, So she takes these men out one by one. She leaves Joker for last because he's the one who actually carried out the hit on her father. And at the climax of Mask of the Phantasm, you know, Batman shows up. He tries to convince Andrea to give up her bloody quest, but she seizes Joker and disappears, choosing vengeance over love. So is that going to come back Hmm. when she shows back up in his life? You know, I think he did very much sees what could have been if he had really just given... Given himself up to doing vengeance over justice. Exactly. Yeah. So we're really excited. Definitely going to try to read that when it comes out in December. So watch out for that. Batman, Catwoman, number one. If you love Batman and you love Catwoman and you love Mask of the Phantasm, definitely pick that one up. So... We're going to move on to our Villain of the Week, and this week we're actually going to do the bio first. We think that's going to flow a little bit better. Uh, So Oswald Cobblepot, a.k.a. The Penguin, he is extremely wealthy. Sometimes the Waynes and the Cobblepots tend to be kind of friends, maybe rivals in Gotham City. Mm -hmm. All kind of depends on what you're looking for. Um, He... We were, we were talking last week about, like, weird origin stories for villains. Mm. Uh, there's a weird one for the Penguin's umbrella obsession. Really? You know, I'm thinking probably when they were creating him, they probably just were thinking, like, oh, British, you know, uh, Neville Chamberlain carried an umbrella, so okay, let's have this guy carry an umbrella. He's British. But in the comics, um, this weird obsession with umbrellas stems from his mother forcing him to carry an umbrella everywhere he went because his father died of pneumonia. <laughs> So, keep that umbrella on you. (laughs) In the Gotham TV series, uh, he starts out as someone who carries the mobster's umbrella. That's his, Mm. like, his job is sort of, uh, not like chauffeur, but kind of like the guy who, like, holds stuff for him, takes his coat, holds his umbrella. The body man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, He's almost always dressed in formal wear. That's sort of just another play on that whole, like, oh, dressed like a penguin with a little tuxedo. Yeah, black and white color. Mm -hmm. Very, very formal gentleman. Pointy nose to resemble a beak. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uses the Iceberg Lounge, which is his own business. It's a nightclub in Gotham City as a front for his crimes. Um, and I wanted to kind of connect that also to our discussion about the Riddler, that Penguin also has female henchwomen running the Iceberg Lounge when he's not there. Their names are Jay, Raven, and Lark. <laughs> you know who else should work there? Who? Black Canary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she would work for the Penguin. And Robin. And Robin, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Too many birds in D.C. Lots of birds. 
Um, oh, the Iceberg Lounge is also often infiltrated by Matches Malone. Yeah. Which is Batman's uh, name when he's going undercover in the criminal underground. I actually have some notes when we move on to the Silver Age section about Matches Malone. Yeah. yeah. So, soon this will become a Matches Malone podcast. Just, <laughs> just you wait. The number one Matches Malone fan podcast. <laughs> so Burgess Meredith played the Penguin very famously in the Batman television show. Um, and he was known for this kind of like quacking laugh that he would give where he'd go like mm-hmm. um, I found this really interesting fact about that the reason that he did that I don't know if it was created by you know him as the actor or if he and the director kind of collaborated on it um, it was because the penguin smoked all the time the character um, Burgess Meredith did not smoke and he would do that quacking so that he wouldn't cough and ruin takes because he couldn't <laughs> deal with all the smoking that's hilarious I love it he's such a professional <laughs> and now we have that amazing like penguin quacking laugh yeah there. really I mean it, it's it's moved over into like the animated series had it uh I don't think that the games had him at all mm-hmm. uh but like some of the movies and stuff it has a yeah uh, other smoking fun facts about the Penguin in the Batman animated series. Um, he was the only character who was allowed to be shown smoking besides some gangsters who were in Mask of the Phantasm also were shown smoking. But otherwise, on like the main Batman series, Penguin was the only one who could smoke. And he didn't ever have like a regular cigarette, like right? He always had that like sort of French thing that's like long. I think so. Yeah. Depends which... The cigarette holder or whatever. Like Cruella de Vil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the thing that she has. Yeah. Very similar. Um, The appearance in Batman the Animated Series really pays homage um, to Batman Returns, but it really does its own thing. Those kind of came out around the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I would say besides Burgess Meredith, definitely Danny DeVito is the most memorable, iconic portrayal of the Penguin. For sure, for sure. Ever. And his is more grotesque, I would say. And that's, you know, Tim Burton's doing. Uh, But it's less of a mobster who just has a thing for birds and more of like a weird guy who looks like a bird and so adopted this bird persona. Mm -hmm. And I like the way that um, like the Tim Burton version does it too where they kind of had him, they had him. He has webbed fingers. He has webbed fingers or they're like stuck together. Yeah. And then he wears the black gloves. Polydactylia or something. That's when you have six fingers. No, but there's there's another word that's similar. Syndactyly. Yeah, where your fingers are stuck together. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, he kind of uh, shares that, you know, with, uh, like, Croc also had that kind of thing where it's like, oh, he's just, like, a former, like, freak show performer. Mm. Um, And they did actually kind of use that in the comics for a while, too. They sort of had him be sort of this, like, half-man, half-bird hybrid, although famously never really, like, explained why it was like that. (laughs) Uh, they were just like, oh, because the bird movie did it, and that made a lot of money, and people really liked it, so let's do that for a while. Yeah. Like the comics do sometimes. Um, he's got some amazing abilities. He's got genius-level intellect, uh, business acumen. It's often said that like his plans would just go off without a hitch if it wasn't for Batman infiltrating the Iceberg Lounge and figuring out, you know, Yeah, he was and I mean, the Iceberg Lounge itself, the Iceberg Lounge itself is, uh, like, its own profitable business. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to, like, be helped by his criminal activities. It, it's it's a self-sufficient business. But it's fun that it does. You know, <laughs> cr- criminal's gonna crime. Yeah. If they're gonna. Uh, he's surprisingly a master of judo, nujitsu, and bare-knuckle boxing. I don't believe that for a second. No? That man is too heavy. He is surprisingly spry in the comic that we're about to read. He does some <laughs> interesting maneuvers there. Um, he's an avian trainer. He uses birds in everything he does. Uh, in an almost like OCD kind of way where it's like he's just, maybe he's just really into branding. It's, yeah, it's just his shtick, you know? He stays on brand. It's his gimmick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then also he always has his trick umbrellas, which can do a number of things, including flight, uh, throw flames. He can turn gas. them into guns. He uses them for gas. Um, there's, there's like a knife on the end of the tip of one. I'm gonna read you a list of a whole bunch of umbrellas that he uses in the animated series. Okay. Um, an umbrella that shoots a pellet that keeps the victim tired and void for a week or so. <laughs> uh, an umbrella that can implode a lock on a door. An umbrella that flies and is used to shred victims. 
Um, an umbrella that shoots bullets, an umbrella that shoots a sugary substance which attracts hummingbirds. That's fun. <laughs> um, and an umbrella that acts like a shield. So, you know what? Honestly, maybe he's got the right idea with that umbrella. Uh, who, who would win in a fight? Uh, penguin's umbrella or Riddler's cane? Oh, Penguin's Umbrella. Well, I guess Penguin's Umbrella, he switches out what type of umbrella he has. Mm-hmm. Riddler's cane only ever does, like, electric shocks and stuff. And grappling hook. And grappling hook, yeah. Mm. Okay. So Penguin, I think Penguin's got more versatility. <laughs> but it's not in one umbrella. It's, like, in the fact that he has multiple umbrellas. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine just, like, breaking into Penguin's house and you find his, like, umbrella cabinet? With all the... Do you think they're labeled? What if... What if <laughs> you think he accidentally picks up the gun umbrella? Yeah. And tries to use it as, like, the gas umbrella? What if he's trying to shoot Batman with the gun umbrella, but he, un, he like, unleashes it in his helicopter and he just zooms forward? <laughs> How embarrassing. <laughs> so with that silliness, uh, let's get into the comic this week. Uh, it's Batman issue 155. Uh, the executive editor of this comic was Jack Schiff. The covers were by Sheldon Moldov and Ira Schnapp. The writer was famed Batman co-creator uh, Bill Finger. Penciler was Sheldon Moldov. Inker was Charles Paris. And the letterer was David Huffine. So the comic opens with our dynamic duo standing on the rooftops of Gotham. Uh, when they see a strange symbol in the sky, they initially think it's their bat symbol, obviously, but it's not. Batman smartly points out it's actually a bat in the Chinese style, which is of course coming from where else? Chinatown. Um, it's coming from inside uh, the Dragon Temple, which is some temple in Chinatown, part of Gotham. Yeah, yeah. Of course, the famous Dragon Temple. Uh huh. And we later find out uh, you're probably going to get to this is that the the symbol was put up uh, by the penguin. Mm-hmm. The the my question to you is, mm-hmm. do you think that Chinatown has their own bat signal with the a, a Chinese bat, or do you think that the Penguin built this bat signal to call Batman? It is possible. My other question was, why did he call Batman to the, the crime, crime that he was about to do? These criminals are so... Mm. They're so... No, I know why. It's be, it ties in later because uh, the other criminals say that he can't outwit Batman. Okay. So if Batman's not involved, then he doesn't get credit for outsmarting Batman. Okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, so they find a, inside the Dragon Temple a dragon uh, with bat wings, um, which is a symbol of good luck. Batman says that bats are a symbol of good luck in China, or at least they used to be. So it's missing these valuable ruby eyes that it had. Um, and the dragon, of all people, starts talking to them and says that he drugged the guards <laughs> and was waiting for them. So that was wild. Um, but from out of the dragon's mouth comes a, quote, dapper little figure, who is, of course, our friend, the penguin. So the penguin is described as a master of bird crimes, and I took a few minutes to make a list of bird crimes, and this is what I came up with. Eating all the seeds, statue vandalism, and ruining plane engines. Can you think of any other bird crimes? Any other bird crimes? Yes. Oh, why did you spring this on me? Oh, no. Uh, I mean, just vandalism in general. They can ruin a bunch of different things. Your suit, your lunch. <laughs> oh, theft! There you theft. go. Theft. They steal people's fries. One time, a seagull stole a whole sandwich out of my mother's hands at the Jersey Shore. It was the most distressing day of her life. It was so upsetting. They stole a whole Wawa hoagie out of her hand. That's a bird crime right there. It was a, that should have been a, a bird felony, honestly. <laughs> um, birds also, you know, they can fly into illegal airspace. That's true. That's a bird crime. <laughs> but Penguin is the master of bird crimes. Um, yes, I, the master of bird crimes, have returned to renew our intriguing battle of wits. And how long has it been since the Penguin was in the comics? Seven years at this point. This, since this is his first Silver Age appearance, the last time he appeared was in 1956, and this comic is from 1963. So it's been a full seven years and his first appearance in Silver Age. Mm-hmm. So he's there to steal the Batwing dragon eyes, those rubies, and he specifically says he's doing it to mock Batman, 
um, which I guess is why he called him there to be a witness for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just it makes me think of you know him and the Riddler and probably a whole bunch of more villains that we're going to talk about on this podcast. They just like it seems like getting the the money, getting everything. It's second to wasting Batman's time wasting Batman's time humiliating Batman getting Batman to just pay attention to them yeah it reminds me of um, there's a part that's uh, there's a character who's like very briefly mentioned in Watchmen as like a villain that Laurie and Dan used to fight who they would catch up to him and then he had some sort of just like you know sadistic not sadistic masochistic tendency where he was like yeah beat me up and they were <laughs> like no you're wasting our time and then they're like well what happened to that guy? And Dan's like, oh yeah, Rorschach threw him down an elevator shaft. <laughs> so I, it seems like every Silver Age villain is exactly like that guy. They're like, yeah, just like, come on over here and stop my crime, Batman. It's very strange. Pagman wants Batman there to witness his beautiful crime that he's about to do. Um, I guess because he wants to go back to Gotham Penitentiary because I guess the food must be great. Uh, he... Tries to distract the dynamic duo with this flamethrower that comes out of the dragon's mouth, uh, almost making it seem like it's real. That's actually what's on the cover of this issue, is this, like, fire-breathing dragon attacking uh, Batman and Robin. I kind of was hoping it was... This must have taken a really long time to set up, too. Yeah. Like, he built a flamethrower in this dragon, he knocked out all the guards, he has other stuff that he's gonna do, too. Unless... Unless what? He put just his flame flower umbrella inside of the dragon's mouth. Oh. There you go. Umbrellas on umbrellas on umbrellas. He's got the technology. So he uh, manages to escape once he distracts them. Uh, Batman and Robin follow him out into this courtyard where he is able to attack them with some eagles that he gets out of a box. No, no, no. He doesn't attack them with eagles. He's placed eagles' nests Mm -hmm. in the courtyards Mm -hmm. in order to take advantage of eagles' territorial nature. Exactly. So that the eagles will attack them because the eagles are protecting their eggs. Yes. He's found, like, five eagles' nests and put them in this courtyard. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so the eagles are attacking Batman and Robin, um, and then while they are distracted, Penguin makes the only escape that he can logically make. He rides away on an ostrich. Saying tally-ho. Saying tally-ho. Maybe the most Penguin thing I have ever seen. Uh, so the next day, Batman feels like he needs to report his failures to the media. Uh, he <laughs> collects a bunch of reporters um, and tells them that he tangled with a Penguin and he has egg all over his bat face. Uh, Vicky Vale makes a cameo, which I thought was really cool that she was there. Um, she's described as Batman's devoted admirer. So no word in this issue whether she and Bruce have ever come toe-to-toe before. Um, meanwhile, the Penguin has uh, is revealed to have talked to some nameless thugs the night before. Uh, and the reason why he decided to... Return to a life of crime. Mm-hmm, was because these nameless thugs were like, you're not good as good as the Batman. He's the best. We love him. And that's this is what I was talking about when I said we were going to talk about Matches Malone. I was like, if he had had the Matches Malone persona at this point, he could have been in that club and known that Penguin was going to do crimes. Mm-hmm. But this is before he adopted that persona. Mm -hmm. So Penguin does go back to these nameless thugs and tells them like, ha ha, look, I did best the Batman, but they are still pretty unimpressed with him. Yeah, their response is just like, ah, one crime's nothing. He'll get you the second time. Yeah, these criminals have like the utmost respect for Batman. I love it. Yeah. It's working. The vigilanteism is working. So the dynamic duo is summoned to Detective Gordon, uh, where they find that Penguin has left them an egg in these trying times. Okay. That, yes. Yes, the Danny DeVito reference is very funny. (laughs) But uh, this brings up a litany of questions for me. So Penguin mails GCPD an egg and a rock. Yep. Okay. (laughs) Do Batman and Robin... Like you do. Do Batman and Robin not have a post office box? No. That they can receive mail in. Of course not. Why? Okay. Someone it's, would just send them a bomb. It seems... Yeah, but they'd be Anthrax. sending it to the post office. Okay. It, in this current situation, 
the Gotham City Police Department is getting mailed things that are addressed to Batman and Robin. It just seems inefficient is all I'm saying, is that, like, the, the GCPD receives something addressed to Batman. They then have to call Batman on the phone. The Bat phone. Yeah, and say, we have a package for you. Well, okay, one, they have a phone that's specifically for contacting Batman, so it's not like it's hard. Um, two, I'm betting people don't send, like, fan mail. I bet they might have one for, like, fan mail or something, but, you know, they probably don't check it all the time. That's probably, like, a once-a-week kind of thing. They send Alfred out there to grab that. <laughs> so you think it's only important uh, first-class mail packages that get sent to the GCPD no. addressed to Batman? No, it's only villains who are trying to send cryptic clues and make sure Batman gets it, and it's just kind of helpful to send it to GCPD anyway, because they're probably going to get looped in. Mm. It's a very considerate thing to do. <laughs> so he sends them an egg and a rock. Um, and I'm thinking, like, who is it? The Riddler trying to lead them on yeah, all really. these clues? Like, he's leading them on to what his crime is going to be like the Riddler would do. It's really weird. It is. It Out of character for what we know as the modern penguin. Doesn't seem very penguiny, but I guess that's how it was back then. They had to they had to set up Batman being the world's greatest, greatest detective in some way. And so I they just, was, just feed him clues all the time? Him making logical leaps makes him the world's greatest detective. Uh, but it does lead him to where he's going. The egg, he thinks about the goose that laid the golden egg. Jack and the beanstalk somehow leads him to a farm on top of a skyscraper. Which, the, which, which is named the Tompkins Building. And I looked into it, and there's no relation to Leslie Tompkins. Okay. Because she didn't show up in the comics until the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leslie Tompkins, Batman's father's... Co-worker, she's a she's a nurse or a doctor. She's a doctor. Sometimes she's a psychologist. Yeah, um, that that like works side by side with Batman in uh, sort of the later comics and like the eighties and stuff. And one of the best uh, Batman animated series episodes, uh, appointment in, in Crime, Crime Alley. Alley. So good. So they show up at this skyscraper, and then the other clue, the rock. Uh, kind of makes Batman think of the giant bird from the story of Sinbad the Sailor, which is the rock without the K. Um, Which is a huge jump in logic. Which equals just a giant penguin blimp that they see flying directly at the skyscraper. So obviously, all of those clues led them exactly where they needed to go. Um, And now the nameless henchmen are helping the penguin. So I guess they don't respect him, but he's like, hey, boys, big payday. And they're like, sure, we're on it. We'll help you out. Those are the same guys? Those are the same guys. If you scroll back up, that guy's wearing the same suit. Oh, wow. It's the same guy. It's the same character. The other guy put a jacket on, but it's still him. He's got the same hair. (laughs) He looks like Sportsmaster. (laughs) So uh, they... The Batman and Robin uh, find them, and they fly up on these things called whirly bats. Something you don't see anymore. I haven't ever seen this in their arsenal since. No. They look very unsafe. <laughs> they basically look like um, like top-down, open-air helicopters for a single person. Think like a motorcycle with just spinning blades on top. Without the, yeah, the, without without the extensions the for the wheels. Just like a place to put your feet. And maybe like a little control panel to fly where you're going. I guess it kind of looks like a roller coaster car. It does. It reminded me of that too. Yeah, like a roller coaster seat and then like a a helicopter on top. I don't know how this thing could contend with wind at all. (laughs) It feels just like a recipe for disaster. It doesn't look like there's anything except for maybe some uh, little things on the back that actually uh, move it back and forth. Like it doesn't have like little wings or uh, a stabilizer like a helicopter has. It seems like it should just be able to go up and down (laughs) this makes no scientific sense i love it (laughs) so those are very safe so they land um and the penguin unleashes yet another umbrella this one's got spider webs in it it's like a net basically it's just a net they call it a spider web but it's just a net it's a spider web and uh penguin calls himself the man of a thousand umbrellas which i love i would love to see his umbrella closet (laughs) i i want to see it so bad 
So Batman tries to take out the blimp, um, and... After getting free from the net. Yeah. Um, and, like, Robin gets tangled up in it. He's not as quippy, this this one. Oh, although they do say uh, up he, here... He has a pun, and Penguin kind of is like, stop it, I hate your, yeah, can I I hate be, your puns. Can I be spared from these grotesque puns? And honestly, Oswald, same. Yeah, really, there's way too many puns in these comics. Yeah, so it's, it's fine. Um, so Robin gets tangled up with this blimp, um, and Batman tries to sca- tries to save him. He sees Penguin escaping out of the blimp, um, and Penguin flies out of this blimp blimp on a parachute umbrella. But as he gets closer, he realizes, just kidding, it's not Penguin. It's a balloon shaped like the Penguin. He is a man who can be mistaken. He's <laughs> who a balloon could be mistaken for him. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty convincing balloon, though. It looks almost exactly like him. He must have shelled out some big dough mm-hmm. to get a balloon that looks just like him, and then it explodes. And then it explodes. He explodes. Um, Batman finds a Robin. He got hit in the head with an umbrella and was downed for that battle. Uh, and the Penguin makes his escape yet again. Penguin is surprisingly formidable. I know we've been like talking a lot of a lot of nonsense about him and dunking on him this whole time, but he's actually. He's gotten away with two capers. He got those rubies in the first one, and he got, like, a bunch of suitcases full of money. I want to know why all these millionaires keep leaving all their fortunes and their, like, impressive things just, like, on their person. Like, yeah. is the Gotham... I guess it's because the Gotham Bank gets broken into, like, twice a week. <laughs> <laughs> this, like, having it in your house is safer it's than safer. having it in a bank. It's like the, the depression in the 20s where people would keep money under their beds. Yeah. There's no reason to trust the Gotham Bank, I guess. Uh, so Alfred makes an appearance, which I was super excited for. I was super, super happy to see Alfred. Uh, he brings uh, Bruce and Dick, who are having a lovely breakfast, uh, a big box. Which, which he doesn't open beforehand. Like, he's like a, he's their butler. He knows that they're high profile. And he's just like, I got a package for you guys. I haven't opened it yet. Which we'll see on the next panel. There's no way that this package wasn't making noise. <laughs> he really should have been tipped off. Uh, there's no way it would have been stable. Like no. he, he would have been moving. It would have been moving around in his hands. So he he tips open the box onto the table, and it's a penguin. Like a real life living penguin. He gets the pet penguin for the boys. It says greetings to a friend from the penguin. So. Obviously, Bruce and Dick are freaked out. How does the penguin know who they are? How does he know where they live? This must mean that their secret entities have been compromised and they cannot be Batman and Robin anymore. Or will they? And then we get a break. A quick quiz it has on the comic book pages. Uh, In between the first and the second portion of this, uh, we learn that ice uh, expands to one eleventh of its bulk when transformed uh, from water into ice. It's like 9%. And this last clue, this last uh, quiz thing that they have here, I found out is wrong. Yeah? Yeah, it says Brazil has a state as big as Texas, with a question mark. Brazil is larger than the United States and has three states bigger than Texas. Not true. Brazil is bigger than the continental United States. Mm. After you add Alaska and Hawaii, it jumps o- over uh, Brazil's actual total landmass. Oh, and this was before the. This was after those were added to the. Yeah, because those got added in like the, the like forty nine or something, right? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Thanks, Tootsie Pop ad. I learned something new, and then learned it was wrong. So we come back to the story uh, on a delightful scene where uh, Batman and Robin have visited the GCPD and they realize it is full of penguins because not only did Bruce Wayne get a penguin, but uh, Gordon got a penguin, Vicki Vale got a penguin, and we later learned that 24 of Batman's closest friends and associates... Yeah, two dozen. ...received penguins. Well, okay... First question, what did Bruce do with the penguin that he got in his house? Did he bring it to the GCPD with him? It looks like he did because they, it's like Mr. Popper's penguins up in there. There is just a whole bunch of penguins hanging out in Gordon's office. Second question, what do they do with these penguins afterward? Because it's never explained. You know. Do they donate them to the local zoo? They could. They could give them to the, uh, the organization we're about to hear about, which is the Friends of Birds Society. 
the Museum of the Friends of Birds Society. A very long mouthful of a name. Yeah. Uh, what else could they have done? They could have just, uh, I don't know, thrown him in the river. <laughs> have him swim over to Metropolis. Now they're Superman's problem. <laughs> sure. So at the Bird Museum, which is, the full name is the Museum of the Friends of Birds Society, uh, they're having a huge meeting with a comically gigantic pie, and Penguin jumps out of the giant pie like the world's worst stripper. <laughs> <laughs> having a pie this big is just asking for trouble like that. I know. It, <laughs> there's nothing else that could come of it except a bunch of birds and a crazy man with an umbrella <laughs> full of noxious gas, which he does use to knock out all of the Friends of Birds at the museum society. Uh, he then goes on to, you know, go through museum. Uh, he steals some precious artwork, uh, some precious sketches of birds. Specifically uh, made famous by John Audubon. Mm. Priceless collector's items. Uh, Batman, who is Gotham's solitary silent protector, has 24 friends. He shows up and explains that he knew that he was going to be there because 24 penguins were sent to his friends all added up the society's 24th anniversary celebration. I have never once in my life had 24 friends living in the same city as me. I don't know if you have. <laughs> I certainly have not. Well, it also uh, has a fitting rhyme that goes with it. Four and 20 blackbirds baked into a pie. I know. It just doesn't seem likely that he'd have 24 friends being the really? silent protector vigilante. Although, you know what? In the Silver Age, we're definitely shown he does a lot more like community outreach. That's true, yeah. Than he does in the later The last versions. comic that we read, he went to like a fire... Or no, it was a police like luncheon or whatever. Can you imagine being the one Gotham police officer who didn't get a penguin? And it's like, <laughs> oh, I get it. All right. I guess I'm not friends with Batman. I guess that dinner meant nothing. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Fine by me, Batman. And that's Harvey Bullock's uh, origin story. There you go. That's why he hates him so much. Um, so Batman and uh, Penguin start, you know, having a little kerfuffle in this bird museum. Uh, Penguin hits some sort of control panel that makes all of these giant animatronic birds that are supposed to move and squawk. Now, the... now here's the thing. I have not been into a bird museum in the 60s. Me But I don't think that eight-foot-tall, fully animatronic birds were common. No. <laughs> I think a lot... You see this a lot in, um, like, 60s, uh, like media and 60s fiction everyone was really enamored by like what walt disney was doing with you know uh audio animatronics that they were just like oh i guess that must be magic like there's a whole thing in like the stepford wives is all about like the main villain in that they call him diz because he worked for disney mm -hmm. and he's able to like create these like perfect women robots that look just like the wives yeah. and completely take their place and nobody knows they're gone yeah like automatons were this big like sci-fi thing yeah and in reality, they were just, you know, I mean, have you been to, it's a small world, have you? Or, or the Hall of Presidents. Or uh, the Carousel of Progress, like, they're not, they're not that impressive. They're not that impressive. We love Walt Disney, but they're not, they're not magic. So we got these eight, they don't even look eight foot tall, they look like 20 foot tall. No, because Batman's, if Batman's six foot tall, and he's at an angle in this panel, yeah. if he stands directly okay. up, he's... maybe maybe 10 feet tall. Yeah, maybe. So these animatronic birds are running amok. They're completely just off their rockers, pecking at each other, getting in the way, jamming up doors. Penguin runs. Uh, he's trying to just get away from Batman. All these big birds are in the way, so he thinks he's, you know, going clear. Uh, but he sees Batman in a doorway. And he's like, oh no, is that Batman on roller splits? Oh, you know, you How missed, the, he... you missed the, the best part. Is that the birds, one of the birds falls apart. It's a penguin. And he jumps on the spring that's within the penguin to launch himself out of the room. Like, I guess out of the skylight that's mm -hmm. open already? Or up to the mezzanine? Yeah. Somehow. he That looks like a very unsafe trampoline, too. <laughs> that looks like it would cut you up like crazy. Just a gigantic naked spring. And yeah. You're, putting, you're vaulting your whole body onto it. Yeah. I hate it. 
So, um, yeah, Penguin starts seeing Batman at every single door that he tries to run to, and he wonders if Batman is on roller skates. Yeah, that's my favorite line. He must be wearing roller skates to get around so quickly, as if there's no other explanation as to how someone could move quickly. Yeah. It has to be roller skates. Which gave me a million dollar idea, which is Batman on Heelys, I must tell Zack Snyder immediately. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Batman on Ice would be a cool show to watch. Yeah. Did they ever do that? Probably. Do you think so? I feel like there must have been. Maybe. Some sort of, or like... Like a tie-in to the 89 movie or something when, like, ice ice capade shows were big? Probably. I would be willing to bet. We'll report back next episode if there's ever been a Batman on ice. <laughs> That'll, ooh, we can talk about that in our, if we ever do a Mr. Freeze episode. Yeah, there you go. History of Batman on ice. Uh, so he thinks he's seeing Batman in every single doorway, and then finally he runs into the real Batman, who says this terrifying line that literally makes him faint. You need glasses, Penguin. <laughs> and then he faints. He passes out from that. And then uh, Robin runs in. Well, he passes out due to the due to the the surprise. Mm-hmm. They are a superstitious and cowardly lot, they these true. criminals. They truly are. They truly are. So Robin runs in, and then the mystery is finally solved of how Batman was able to be at every door. Um, Robin found a whole bunch of different Batman Old capes costumes. and cowls yeah. in the Batmobile, and he made a bunch of scarecrows ha, 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 out of uh, little like coat racks and stuff. So he's a bird. He was uh, scared away by scarecrows. Uh, In the last panel, my question about the food at Gotham Penitentiary actually gets answered. Uh, Even though it looks like he is being served a delicious chicken pot pie, um, Penguin says that he has lost his taste for it and he isn't going to eat his supper. So yeah, food in Arkham Penitentiary. Chicken pot pot pie is is a pretty good meal to have. Do you think that's? Do you think somebody like homemade that, or is that like a and like brought, brought it to the brought it to the prison? Like, oh, it's my it's my church out, outreach program. I'll bring chicken pot pies to all the people, all the criminals. Yeah. Or is it like a microwave like Marie Callender? Oh, I don't of? know. I don't know if they were making them that good in the sixties. It looks good. It's got steam coming off of it. And yeah. Everything. Oh man, it looks like a perfect American pie. I want chicken pot pie. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Let's end this podcast so we can eat chicken pot pie. No, no, no. <laughs> we still got more stuff to talk about. Okay. I did want to talk about some of the other stuff that was actually in this comic book. Um, we didn't talk about the first story, which is a story about, a, a, I guess it's a serial killer yeah. from the Midwest that gets psychically linked to Batman. It's a really weird sci-fi premise. Um, the crazy part is, uh, the, the, the guy dies in the end and Batman, like, doesn't even really make mention of it. Mm-hmm. Um. If they were psychically linked, wouldn't a small part of Batman die as well? No, no, no. Well, that was the whole idea was throughout the comic, the bad guys were trying to kill, uh, the, the killer, the, the serial killer guy, and then they're also trying to kill Batman, and then the serial killer is like, oh, I can't let Batman die because then I'll die. But Batman figures out a way to, like, reverse the the link so he doesn't die when the other guy does. Is this, like, magic or, like... It's, uh, my notes here, because I read it because I didn't know that Penguin wasn't in this story. Uh, let's see, my notes here say, chemicals, the root of 90% of Gotham's problems. Oh, no. <laughs> it's just some, like, chemical explosion and it causes them to be psychically linked. Okay. Uh, it also, the serial killer learns his uh, real identity, which is, I guess, why he had to die in the end. Yeah. There's also a uh, an appearance by Kathy Kane, uh, Batwoman, in that first story. Um, but anyway, other, other than that, you know, it's a decent sci-fi setup, uh, and, and there's some inter- other interesting stuff. I did want to talk about the ads in this, uh, because they had some ads. One of them was 204 Revolutionary War Soldiers for $1.98. You send them $1.98, and they'll give you 204 Plastic Revolutionary War Soldiers. I did the conversion that's seventeen dollars and four cents in twenty twenty money, which is actually a pretty good deal. I went on Amazon to figure out what I could get, like with that kind of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get a hundred soldiers for fifteen bucks today. Mm-hmm. Um, Are they all like infantrymen, or do you get like cannons? Oh, you stuff? get like different things. There was different, like you could get. Um, what was it? Cavalry and uh, dragoons. Do you get horses? Uh, I don't. Think you do? Let's see. What do we got? Dragoons, shooting infantrymen, marching infantrymen, crouching infantrymen. Gotta have that. Oh, 12 fifers. Gotta have your fifers. You gotta get your fifers. 
uh, charging infantrymen, sharpshooters, field Ooh. cannon, cannon loaders, drummers. You get twelve Hessian troops. Yeah. Which is, you know what? That's a very, it's a very uneven battle then. Well, <laughs> if you've got only twelve Hessians versus. Oh well, it doesn't say that like they're colored or anything. I would assume that they're all made from the same mold, and like you have to paint them yourself. Mm. That seems to oh, be wait. what these sort of things are. Were the Hessians on the American side? I thought those were the ones that we crossed the Delaware to fight. Yeah, yeah, those were okay. they were part of the British yeah, army. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, I know history. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, pretty decent deal uh, to get that many soldier toy soldiers. Uh, even though you know they're like non-articulating and stuff, they're just made out of plastic. But uh, yeah. And then the other one I saw was they had cars, uh, pure plastic styrene cars, two dollars and forty nine cents, uh, which is somewhere around eighteen nineteen dollars today's money. Uh, not a good deal for what they were because uh, it doesn't tell you like the size or whether or not they're colored. I don't think that they probably had moving wheels, um, so not a good deal. And then the only other thing that I had to talk about in this comic book was the PSA at the beginning. This was uh, a little bit after the whole comic book uh, commission being created. Uh, so it wasn't that it was necessary, but DC did it anyway. They have it, the Countdown on Excellence, uh, which is a thing about this kid who doesn't clean the garage well, and his dad is like, if you just did your job good enough and everyone did it that way, imagine what terrible things would happen. There's a woman whose sink explodes because the plumber did just good enough. Uh, somebody who gets sent to the bakery instead of the bank because the switchboard operator didn't do her job good enough. Uh, a mechanic who uh, fixes a car and the wheel falls off. And a... A uh, person who is at the U.S. Army sending off a rocket and doesn't do their job good enough, and the rocket doesn't go. <laughs> um, and he goes, I get it, Dad. Whether, job, Every job, whether big or small, is important enough to do right. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're trying to beat the Reds. Yes. It was the 60s, though. That wasn't really... I don't know. It's not... We're not really in the middle of a war or, like, any kind of... I guess Korea, technically. Yeah. But... It wasn't, I don't know, 60s PSAs, are, they just hit different than 50s PSAs. <laughs> it wasn't like, do it all for the war effort. I mean, it was still in that era. I mean, 59 was uh, the Twilight Zone series, and they had a lot of stuff about the Cold War. Yeah. But that was, you know, this is more just about, like, do a good job, son. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, is cute. It is. I mean, it's good that they put the PSAs. You don't see that very much in modern-day comics. I know they do sometimes. They'll do PSAs about stuff. Um, but not as much as they did in the 60s and not as much as they did in, like, the 80s. Because I remember in the 80s they did a lot of stuff, uh, sp specifically stuff about, like, AIDS. Mm -hmm. Did you want to talk a little bit about, like, the comics code and, like, why they had to do PSAs and things like that? I, I mean, that's, that's uh, like, a, could be a whole podcast in itself. It was basically that there was some moral outrage as there is with most mediums where uh, somebody comes out and says that it's evil and terrible and you're, you know, it's going to spoil the youth and they're going to grow up to be all be criminals. Uh, and so there's some regulation that gets put in place. Uh, and again, usually uh, like it was with video games, like it was with the movie industry, like it was with the, uh, the record industry, it usually ends up being on the industry itself to self-regulate. So the comics code was created by the comic uh, publishers and they used it to regulate their own things to make sure that it was wholesome enough. And then eventually people started skirting around it by selling their comics, not through the main distributors. And then we ended up with less lax or more lax and lax uh, applications of the comic code mm -hmm. to compete with those ones that hadn't been released with the comic book book code stamp of approval. Mm -hmm. And now we just have like, you know, the big companies like DC has different lines that are sort of like... Uh, directed towards different audiences like the mm -hmm. Batman Catwoman series that I was talking about before that's actually going to be released under their black line label which is like specifically for like mature audiences yeah they're doing something similar to the movie industry now where they've got sort of like age ranges that are for different comics yeah so definitely watch out for that Batman Catwoman comic because it <laughs> might be sexy <laughs> pretty excited uh, so I just wanted to wrap up, uh, before we talk, play uh, Who Would Win, I just want to talk a little bit about different 
portrayals of the penguin. I know we've talked a lot about uh, Danny DeVito's portrayal. We've mm-hmm. talked a little bit about um, Burgess Meredith's portrayal. Do you have a favorite version of the penguin that you like, whether <sighs> comics, movies, television shows, anything like that? Definitely Danny DeVito is probably the one that I like the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because, I don't know, I, I like the Burton movies so much. Yeah. It, it's hard It's hard to pick any other one but the but like characters that were featured in the Burton movies. Because mm-hmm. uh, I don't like his take in the Arkham games where he's just like a gangster. It's kind of interesting, but it, it's more interesting when he's got a gimmick, when he's got a shtick, when he's, mm-hmm. you know, more bird-like. A little spicy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I like his portrayal in Gotham. I think he's w- one of the more interesting characters in that series. He's definitely more interesting than Jim Gordon, who's like supposed to be the series protagonist. Ooh. Hot, <laughs> hot takes. Uh, Josh just made enemies with a million OC fans. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of the other portrayal. I haven't seen enough of the 60s TV show to say that like I whether or not I do or do like Burgess Meredith's portrayal. Yeah. I mean, I just love Burgess Meredith as an anyway being from Philadelphia he has an extremely soft spot in my heart being uh, Rocky's coach <laughs> he's gonna eat thunder and crap lightning so I just really love Burgess Meredith I love what I learned that he does those quacks to make up for the fact that he <laughs> couldn't handle cigarette smoke and didn't want to cough like that is just such a consummate professional Speaking of The Twilight Zone, he's actually in my absolute favorite episode of The Twilight Zone titled Time Enough at Last. It's the one about the misanthrope who like hates people and he just wants to read all day. And then he's hiding in, I think it's like a bank vault yeah. when the nuclear bomb drops and everyone dies. And he's like, oh, great. Cold War. I can finally read all the books I wanted to read. And then his glasses break and he's like, oh no, I won't be able to read books anymore. And then his hands fall off and he, his, eye, his eyes fall out. <laughs> no, you're thinking about this scary door from Futurama. <laughs> That's a different one. I always sort of think, though, that, like, you know, he could just hold the book closer to his face, but I guess that's not poetic <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, any other things you want to say about Penguin portrayals? Uh, we did talk a little bit about the animated series. I, I like it. It's it's serviceable. That's uh, good. He's not in a ton of episodes, really. No. Um, Honestly, I feel like the, like the most, the one I think about the most is uh, in Almost Got Him when he traps Batman and his aviary of doom. <laughs> yeah, I know he shows up in that one where they, uh, where Doctor Strange figures out Batman's secret identity. Mm-hmm. He's one of the the people who comes to the island, one of the villains that comes to the island to like bid on to like figure out what Batman's identity is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, other than that, he, he's kind of criminally underused in the animated series. I feel. Yeah, he he definitely has some untapped potential. I feel like in a lot of mm-hmm. the the ways that he's used, especially on television. The media, yeah. yeah. I do have a least favorite portrayal of him, and that's in the Batman Telltale games. Yeah, I was going to say that, where he's like, he and Bruce used to be friends, and he's kind of like, I want to use the word chav, but I looked it up, and chavs are supposed to be like low class. He's kind of like, they were old money, but maybe they've lost their fortune, and yeah. down on his luck. But he's not, he's not a chav. No. He's just sort of like a, a hooligan. Yeah. I don't even think, like, he, is he British or does he just move to England and then, like, has a British accent? I don't remember, but he has a British accent in that game. Yeah. Why do you, why don't you like that portrayal? Uh, I just didn't like, like, from top to bottom, didn't like it. Didn't like the backstory they put with him. Didn't like his attitude. Mm -hmm. Didn't think it, like, fit with other portrayals of the Penguin. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, and he was also part of the, like, villain group in that game, and I thought that they sucked, too. Okay. (laughs) How do you think Colin Farrell's going to do the role? I mean, he's Irish, so he'll probably do it as like a, with a British accent or, mm-hmm. or maybe an even Irish accent. Who knows? Um, what do you think he's going to do? I don't know. I, I mean, if I had to take a, a guess, since it seems like they're going with a more realistic take, uh, he's probably going to be closest to the one that shows up in the Arkham games. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a businessman... Uh, a gangster. Yeah, a gangster type, rather than sort of a a, a super genius, bur- flamboyant bird man. Yeah, and definitely not the, uh, you know, from the sewers, uh, deformed, beautiful Danny DeVito creature that we all know and love. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would guess probably the, probably the same. It's just going to be some regular villain. Kind of like... Um, 
like the black mask portrayal from uh, the Birds the, of Prey movie. Yeah, Harley Quinn where movie. It's like, you know, they don't really get into like too much crazy stuff. He's just sort of like a criminal. Mm-hmm. Sure. And like, yeah, he does gross stuff, but he's at the end of the day, he's just another gangster. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I've heard news reports that he's like unrecognizable in his costume and makeup. So maybe they'll do some like cool. Well, they do. They did say that they're making him heavy set, even yeah. though the actor himself is not very heavy set. No. He, they're, they're putting on a lot of makeup and. And, uh, like, I guess body suit to make him look heavier to fit the character's, like, typical portrayal. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the odds that he's going to fly on an umbrella at some point in the movie? That an umbrella is going to be used to airlift him out of trouble? One percent. One percent? One percent. You have no hope. It's not going to happen. Let me dream. <laughs> I think there's more of a chance that he'll use, like, a knife umbrella or a gun umbrella than there is him using a helicopter. I can imagine he'll do something where, like, he's maybe having, like, a dispute with someone and they think it's going to end civilly and then he just turns around and, like, stabs them with his umbrella knife. Yeah, that's okay. probably more likely. Ugh, so boring. I just want him to trap Batman in his aviary of doom or, like... Release a bunch of eagles on him, or <laughs> escape riding an ostrich. I would give. I would give any amount of money. I would. I would pay twenty five dollars to see it in four D and sit in a corona infested theater if you can guarantee <laughs> that at some point Con Farrell will ride an ostrich. I will see that movie. Are you listening, WB? Are you listening to this? I will go to the movies if Colin Farrell rides an ostrich. I swear to you. (laughs) We won't go and see, not Spectre. What is that? Uh, Tenant? Tenant. Tenant? Yeah. No, I'm not seeing that in theaters. I'm not... I'm not seeing anything in theaters until Colin Farrell rides an ostrich. Put it in the trailer and I will be there. Okay? (laughs) So, um, all right. Who would win? Okay. Penguin versus, and I'm thinking about this not only because they're, they said it at the end of the comic, but also because of the gas. Penguin versus Scarecrow. Ooh, Penguin both, versus Scarecrow. Both of them use gases to control people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I am, controversial choice, I'm going to take Penguin's side on this. Why is that? I think last episode I said that Scarecrow could be the Riddler mm-hmm. uh, because his gas would infect him. I think that that Penguin would have countermeasures to be able to get rid of Scarecrow's gas. Like his helicopter umbrella could yeah. push the gas away. Push it away? Yeah. Is that how gas works? Or, or he could... It is in the 60s. It is in, yeah, in comic books. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, or he could use the umbrella as a shield, mm. or he could fly away with his uh, umbrella. He has a gas mask in this comic. That's true. He does wear a gas mask. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think if if he was even a little bit prepared, he could beat the Scarecrow. Mm, interesting. All right. Um, both of these next two are more like uh, animal-themed villains, which is why I matched them up. Ah. This one might take a little explaining because I know that you know quite a bit about this villain. I don't think our listeners will. Um, Penguin versus Professor Pig. Oh, okay. So Professor Pig is a... I mean, he's very serial killer-y. He takes people and, like, carves up their faces and their bodies... Uh, I believe in the Arkham games, he, like, does kind of, like, lobotomies or, like, electrotherapy on them to make them into his dolls. Uh, Very creepy, weird villain. Uh, I don't know. This is, oh, this is tough. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, Professor Pig's got, like, he seems dark. He is really dark. Yikes. Uh, I would, you know what, probably Penguin. Because Professor Pig, his main... Like, his main, like, weaponry and stuff is, like, kind of like a butcher's knife. Uh, I believe in the, not the Batman, but Batman, uh, that one that was in 3D, the television show. He showed up in that, and he had, like, a rifle. So he does have, he does use guns, Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't think he does it very often. And he usually picks on weaker people. Okay. Um, so I would think that, that the penguin would be able to defeat him. Okay. Yeah, penguin is usually pretty... He's pretty efficient on his own. 
I mean, he he bested Batman and Robin two out of three times in this comic. That's true. Mostly on his own. And and Penguin hires his own help, whereas, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, Professor Pig, if he does get help, it's either he's teaming up with another villain or it's, like, somebody that he's, like, done some crazy brain stuff to. You gotta promote internally. That's yeah. That's how you get the best candidates. Yeah. Um, this last one also comes with a caveat of where they're fighting. Uh, so Penguin versus Great White Shark, specifically at like the Arctic Animals enclosure at the zoo, <laughs> at Gotham Zoo, uh, with the seals. Great White Shark is that? Wait, what's the difference between him and King Shark? King Shark is a shark. Great White Shark, I think, just has pointy teeth and like, oh, okay, maybe some other shark. He's features. he's like that James Bond villain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Great White Shark. Yeah. Yeah. He seems pointier. Mm-hmm. He seems... <laughs> pointier. He has, like, a killer killer instinct. Also, he's probably a better swimmer. I feel like, despite the name, uh, and even with if he has, like, the genetic, like, wing deformity on his fingers, I feel like he just would sort of sink like a rock. Yeah. If you put him in water. He doesn't look very, uh, not aerodynamic, hydrodynamic. Hydrodynamic. <laughs> not easily uh, moved through the water. No. Yeah. I think that brings us to the end of the podcast. Mm-hmm. The moral of the story of this comic, I feel, is, uh, you know, don't recommit crimes if you've been on the straight and narrow for seven years, especially if it's just to impress some nameless thugs that you met in a criminal underground club. Yeah, very similar to the, the Riddler comic, don't let your ego get the best of you. Mm-hmm. Don't try to prove you're smarter than Batman and Robin, because at the end of the day... He's still the world's greatest detective. He's still the world's greatest detective. You can give him as many crappy riddles as you want. You can send him <laughs> as many unwanted pets as you want. He will figure out a way to know when and where you are going to pop out of a pie to steal some artwork, I guess. And he'll foil those plans for you. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Batmates. Uh, this podcast is made by Josh and Becca. Our theme song was composed by Ben Dean. You can find his stuff on tinyurl.com slash Ben Dean. That's B-E-N-D-E-A-N-E. And our logo was created by Savannah Storm. You can find her on Instagram at art.by.savvys. Have a great day, guys. We'll see you soon.